Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 55. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. And we're a couple in Austin, Texas, getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's media and pop culture blind spots. Yes. Particularly and usually movie blind spots. Blind spots. Sometimes I can't say blind spots today, but that's what I mean. Sometimes also television. Yes. On some occasions. On some occasions. Sporadically television. <laughs> Maybe we should have a podcast called Sporadically Television. <laughs> so, um, each week, one of us gets like to... Like suddenly Susan. <laughs> speak when there's book... Uh, each week, one of us gets to uh, choose a movie for the other person to watch or for us to watch together yes one of us is in control at all times no one of us is in control of the viewing situation we choose the movie sometimes i just turn the volume down a little bit on me no no just kidding okay (laughs) um so it was my turn to pick yes it was your turn at long last at long last (laughs) (laughs) this is like an extra week in there or something i think there was i don't know i think this time we're on target so far as long as we make it through this recording yeah And uh, the movie I chose was Black Narcissus. Yes. The 1947 British film by Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. I think I got that right. Pressburger. Emmerich's a good name. Emmerich is a good name. You don't hear Emmerich too much. Yeah. It just, what's the chef? Emerald Lagasse. Everyone names their kids like, you know, Elliot and Evan and Ethan now. There's no Emmerichs. Where are the Emmerichs? I know no Elliots, actually. Elliot. Anyway. Yeah. Nuns in the Himalayas. <laughs> Somebody ran into a room with the pitch. I yeah. got it. Nuns in the Himalayas. You gotta read this book. It you was can. it was an actress gave it to one of them. Paula yeah, Mary, Mary Morris. Yeah. Mary Morris, the British ac- actress who you will know. You won't know. You yeah. will know. You may know. From the TV series The Prisoner, she played the female number two that we had a few weeks ago. When oh, okay, the older one? The older one, yeah. who was, was kind of in a Peter Pan outfit at some point. Mm, yeah. That's the actress who there, gave them Throughout the, most of it, she was in a Peter Pan yes, outfit. Yes, because there was a costume reason. party. It wasn't just The Prisoner episode where she's in a Peter Pan outfit. She kind of had the Peter it's Pan a masquerade. hair, though, going Yeah, on. I actually wanted to look up if she'd ever played Peter Pan, but I don't think that would have worked because she was too old. Yeah. Sorry, Mary Morris. Well, uh, I don't know. Every every edition of Peter Pan is played by an older woman that I've ever seen. You know, okay, a woman older than you would think would need to play Peter Pan. Kind of weird. So one might ask, why, Dave? <laughs> pray tell, did <laughs> you choose, did you this, choose this, movie? this movie? This movie, yes. One might ask that <laughs> if one weren't distracted. <laughs> We're just going to use the the terminology "one" now, yes. as, as the British do. Um, why did I choose this movie? Well, I was kicking around a few things. This is I've been wanting to do a Michael Powell movie for a long time, and I thought that I was going to do at some point the um, the is it life and death of <laughs> the Colonel? life and death of Colonel Blimp. And I had a moment where I was like, "Is it life and death?" I yes. could have just said Colonel Blimp, life and death of Colonel Blimp. I know you've already seen the red shoes. Otherwise, I probably would have busted out the red shoes. Yeah, that's like one of those, like, you have to see the red shoes. Like, everybody talks about the red shoes. Well, I didn't see the red shoes until about 10 years ago after hearing it talked about, like, my entire life as okay. a movie Well, guy. I saw that, I don't know, early in my film education, yeah. I suppose. Early <laughs> in my education. So, um, there was that. Mm. Choose a good Michael Powell movie at some point. Well... Here's the thing. You've heard me talk about this a lot lately. I'm feeling particularly cooped up of late. Yes. Okay? We are deep in the pandemic in another surge as we record. It is, what, July 14th? Yes. Bastille Day. 
things are not so good here. We're ready to in, storm in the, the states. We're and, ready and to storm in Texas. The, the we're working at home. Our version of Versailles, whatever that is. We're grateful to be working at home. We're grateful to have jobs. I, I am feeling a little cooped up. I'll say that. <laughs> I'm an introvert, so it took four months to feel cooped up. Just four? It's six months at this point, right? I don't know. March. See, I lost a couple months in there yeah, somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time. It's a, it's a very it's long time. It's also like Groundhog Day, where every day is very similar to the last day. Yeah. So without going off on too much of a tangent, what I suddenly occurred to me about this movie that I chose, Black Narcissus, was a movie with a strong sense of place. Yes. And I'm going to lift that phrase off of a podcast I really love and I started listening to a few months ago, which is a, a book recommendation mm-hmm. podcast called Strong Sense of Place, where they always choose a, a place uh, or a theme that mm-hmm. has a sort of setting to it, and they choose books set in that. Okay. Well, I wanted to choose something. We can't go anywhere this... Not no. that we'd want to go to the Himalayas, but I wanted to get I'd out of... I wanted to get out of the confines of these four walls and feel like I've gone somewhere. I thought this week we would travel. So that was one part of it. But another part of it that struck me as really interesting, and this was not like deeply reasoned out. This was all thought of in about two seconds in Mm, my head. In your head. The other thing was seeing a movie about someone else being isolated in a strange situation. Well, I was, are you going to give up the order? You know, you're just going to resign your position and. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Me now. Yeah. Am I supposed to start a, a convent or something? Uh, so that's how we got here. I've yeah. always, I've seen, this was only my third time seeing the movie, but mm. I, I found it absolutely fascinating the first time I saw it, mostly because of the atmosphere and the sense of place yeah. and the psychological dynamics. But you hadn't seen it and you really needed yeah. to see it. But it did these, it hit these other things. Let's get out of the house <laughs> and go to the remote Himalayas. <laughs> With breathtaking cliffside yes. views, painted on matte paintings, but there mm-hmm. you go. Um, and, and glass. And here is this weird, this weird oddity from 1947. That's just such a strange concept. It is a very, a it is a very. What weird did you make movie. of this? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I wouldn't have thought to tell you this, but like because like it's not a giant genre of film that like affects us on a daily basis. But in addition to my skepticism about many westerns. I also have a skepticism about nun movies. <laughs> this is so good because now I have to ask the question: yeah. What nun movies are you even talking about? Where, uh, the Singing I, Nun, I guess. Um, never seen it. Never. Well, it just and then you know, it's it's not their it's not its fault. It's an interesting story, but The Sound of Music. We had to watch that so much in school and around that time. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't remember being Plus, forced and then or pressured I, and to then see I the watched Sound of Music Doubt a few years ago, you know, with, and that was kind of depressing you know, and weird. We may have discovered a new blind spot for me yes. because I'm not very familiar <laughs> with the genre very of nun many movies. Nun movies. <laughs> so, but this, this was a, this is an oh, exception. My favorite nun movie, maybe other than this, yeah is um, Almodovar's film, Bad Habits. Oh, And I just love it. I adore it. the title. <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, Almodovar has, has nuns and priests and such, but they're sort of ten, tangential, usually. Well, Bad Habits is actually about nuns. About nuns, nuns yeah. yeah. So, Transgressive nuns Anyway, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting film. I think that it has a lot of that sort of 
foreshadowing and dread that um, Red Shoes has about mm-hmm. it. Like, you just know from the beginning this is not going to go well. You know, like, we're sending you up to a place where some monks, they had a hard time of it and they left, but maybe you guys will be able to do better. It seemed like we just have to do it because God said so kind of thing. Like, I don't know. It's what you do. You go yeah. create schools and hospitals for the natives in well, various places when you're a colonial power. I think it's interesting because this is like, it came out like right as India and Pakistan were gaining their independence. Like it happened, it came out well, the it was, year. It was produced before independence yeah. and was released right before? Right before they. Or right, yeah, yeah. I think right before independence. So, I mean, it's interesting you know, I don't know if they went into it with that idea that it would, like, call up some of those issues about this, like, colonial power going in and trying to enforce their their morals and their, their values on communities that ha- are ancient and had their own religion and their own lifestyle and their own culture for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years unchanged, and then you're going to send in these you know, white Europeans to tell them the right way to do things. I think that's definitely there in some way. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if it's a criticism of the British or of the the order in this case. And maybe it's more of a, we could never have known them. We couldn't, we don't know their ways. We are, you know, we do not. Well, and there's no, I mean, there's no sense of like, which I think developed later in the in the coming years. I think they were starting to get into this, but the sort of anthropological, sociological perspective of finding out about a culture and learning about it in a way that isn't disruptive and doesn't, you know, instead of just like going in and like, oh, well, this is all wrong. Let us show you the right way to do things in your in your country that you've lived in for yes. many hundreds of thousands of years. But <laughs> like children is yes. what they kept saying, which was yeah. something that really rubs you the wrong way yeah. now. And you know that that's very accurate accurate to the time and the sensibility yeah. of being a colonial power is going into yeah. to bring the benefits of civilization and the western the western world yeah. to the, the children. Well, I mean, there could have been, I mean, and this is, this is like an issue with colonialism everywhere. There could have been like an exchange of ideas and there was, there was like an opportunity for, for people to take what they liked from British culture and, and leave the rest of it. And there was an opportunity for the British people to take things that they liked. I mean, they took everything they liked, I guess, you know. So we have this great bird's eye view now yeah. of like themes and stuff yes. like that. But let's let's zero yeah. back in on like we have people out there about to hit stop on this podcast because yeah. they're like, what what is Why this movie? What is this movie? My tea comes from Darjeeling. I know. <laughs> so we're gonna make the connection between the Darjeeling tea. No, what is this movie about? It's about. It's about a person and a place, and you know, like let's get back to some of the well, characters. Well, yeah, and stuff it's like that. it's funny. Those are all themes that are present there, but I mean, like it is the story of the nuns sort of fighting against the climate and the 
the situation that they find themselves in, you know, I mean, and it starts out, it's, they're sent to what was formerly a house of women, you know, so it was it a was, harem, basically, yeah, essentially right? where, where the, the former general or the leader of that area kept his wives, you know, that's what it was. And it's like compl- high atop a cliff yeah. with snow covered Himalayas all yeah. around. There's a valley down below where the villagers live. Mm. And, and this palace has been abandoned for some amount of yeah, time. Yeah, for, for a long time, it looks like. Some monks tried to establish an order at some point. And then the, our main, our main character, our sort of viewpoint person so is um, Sister Cloda. Yeah. Deborah Kerr. Who's sent to be the, um, Sister superior, Superior. Sister yes. Superior. Yes. Mother Superior? <laughs> Mother Superior. I forget. No, I think she's Sister Superior. I think Mother Superior... Is her the, it's like, you know, there's priests and then there's cardinals and yeah. it's like there's some sort of, you know, like a Mother Superior would be head of the whole order or something. I don't know. So she gets the order go yeah. with these five or six sisters and establish a school, a convent, uh, a hospital? Yeah. I think. Well, and I think like the the you know, Mother Superior, whoever she is, gives her some, like, some, she gives her some okay people, and then she gives her, like, some, like, people that were like, we really don't want Sister Ruth around anymore, so why don't you, you take her? right away. When, <laughs> when, when they're like, here's who I have in mind for you to take, she, you were like, they're gonna, they're gonna make her take all the people they don't want. <laughs> they don't want anymore. <laughs> they didn't want Sister Ruth. No. She's, she was like, you can take the gardener, and you can take... I for, um, sister Bryony, Sister Honey, Sister, sister Philippa. Yeah, Sister Honey is popular. Sister Bryony is good with medicine, I guess. And then somebody else is a gardener. And then we're not sure what Ruth is good at. She's struggling. She's sick. She, you know, no one knows what's and wrong with her. And she's like, are we sure that she's really supposed to be yeah. a nun? Yeah. You know, is this <laughs> is this her vocation? No. You know, the delicate, you have to dance around the subject and say everything so delicate. Well, this is, this is interesting, too, is that there's this whole plot point about how this particular order, they don't, they don't do vows forever. Oh, I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, they do vows. They, they do a vow renewal every year. Every year. So they get their evaluation. No. <laughs> then they have to sign their contract. No. Wait, is this their annual event? Okay, their, their annual review? <laughs> Which Funny, is, I'm working which on my is interesting, which week. gives it sort of, um, you know, but the thing is, is you didn't have to do that. You could have just said, you know, oh, she's given up her vows. You know, you yeah. can do that. You can just be like, she's given up her, like, you didn't have to add that, like, little business clause uh-huh. in there. Like, oh, every year they have to renew their vows kind of thing, you know. I don't know. Maybe that's just to put it in your mind that that someone could leave at some point because they make a, they make a big deal about several of the nuns have second thoughts about their vocation as like throughout the film, like the, the gardening one who I can't remember her name. That's sister Philippa, sister Philippa. She, I have a note that says sister Philippa flowers. Yes. (laughs) She feels, she's feeling a little overwhelmed by the sort of like vastness of the mountains there's like some sense of like agoraphobia, like the landscape is too big for their, for their, you know, there's just too yeah. much to, to take in. It's causing them to it's think about things. Maybe it's too high up in the air. So, you know, atmosphere sickness helps with that. 
I like how you're going through these like literal descriptions of what could be affecting them because yeah. one of the things I love about this movie so much is is the feeling that this space of this 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 place affects them. Yeah. Like on a psychological level. Yeah. It resonates. Mm-hmm. It it um it's almost charged or haunt, not haunted is a strong yeah. word because I don't mean literally it's haunted by ghosts or anything like that, but it's almost haunted by being this sort of um, the harem yeah. and this place of eroticism. Mm. And it just has this feeling for all of the the sisters that it disrupts them in their status quo. Yeah. It changes them. It has almost a, it has an effect on them. It, it's working its way on them. I don't know how to say it, yeah. but they all, I think... Sister Clota is the 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 one who they put in charge, who's sort yeah. of our sort of our main character. At least, yeah. she's the most stable <laughs> character. But it affects her, and that she starts to have all these recurring memories of her of her lost love yeah, from when, from before you know, the great love of her life when she thought she would marry, and and um, you see you actually see flashbacks from yeah. from her past, from the courtship, and from her parents putting all this. Sort of yeah. this idea that, you know, he's going to ask you any day now and her expectations and her hopes and in wherever rural Ireland or something like that. Yeah, it was Ireland. Yeah. And then he ended up going off to America to work for his uncle or something like that. And wasn't going to take her with him. No. So it sounds like she joined the order before he left even. She just kind of like so jumped into that. I thought it sounded maybe even like... She had given up her virginity to him, or mm. like there was a there was one of those nineteen forty seven sort of lines, like I had shown him proof of my love or something like yeah. that, <laughs> and then he went away. So, yeah. it, it, and then it's implied that she had no choice but to like her next decision was to go into yeah. vows, you know. Yeah, I guess that I could. So I don't know. It seemed to be hinted at, yeah. perhaps. In in fact, actually. One of the tidbits or trivia things I came across was that in the American release of the movie, they cut out the flashbacks of her. Uh, her inter- life yeah, they, as if that was the somehow Catholic Women's League was like some scandalous. We don't want to you show to watch this, that. Yeah, this past mm-hmm. that's certainly not torrid or racy or no in any way. It's just this woman was had going to have an earthly relationship, yeah. and she had a past, and she had a great love, and. And uh, you're not supposed to dwell on these things, you know? You can't show her as a human or something. It's hard to... I mean, it's so weird because this is... I mean, it's it's over 50 years ago. Now it's yeah. almost 70. It's 70 years ago now. Over 70 years ago now. But it just seems to me so weird that... I mean, that was... You know, that was only like 20 years before I was born. And there was this such a... I don't know. How far has the world come... In our mindset where, like... Wait, what was only 20, 20 years before you were born? Uh, this this movie and the the scandalous nature of... This movie's from 1947. Yes. Oh, sorry, 30. 33. <laughs> 20, sorry, sorry, 20, sorry. 20 years before you were born? I just did my math wrong. You were um, off by, like, 40 years. <laughs> I was off by 10 years. <laughs> Neither of us can do math. Um, this is from 1947. Yes, which is almost 1950. I was born in 80. That's true. 81. But anyway, <laughs> but that was only 30 years before I was born. 
It feels like a lifetime ago. I though. know. It, it's just a, such a different way that people think of things. And I suppose there's still people that think that way. But I just feel like... I don't know. But yeah, I read about that, that the, the like Catholic women's organizations in the United States like were protesting this like almost immediately when it came out, you know. It doesn't sound like it really had that sort of problem or reception in Britain or anywhere else in the world. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, Britain had left a lot of its, I mean, like, you know, I, I know a little bit about British Catholicism. There was a little bit, but most of it had gone because, mm-hmm. you know, it was, you know, Henry VIII, like, had separated England, and so it had essentially been separated from the Catholic Church for hundreds of years. I mean, I know Alfred Hitchcock was raised Catholic in Britain, which was unusual. That I had forgotten. So my knowledge of so much. My knowledge of, um, <laughs> of British Catholicism is based entirely on my reading a biography of uh, Alfred Hitchcock, but... I think I have that biography. Yeah, the, the trashy sh- one? Yeah, yeah the that dar- was pretty good. The whatever, <laughs> the, the dark whatever. Yeah, anyway, so... The dark side of genius. But, yeah, I don't think that they had that that connection to the church for the Mm -hmm. most part, like many people in America still did. I mean, it really did until, I mean, like, I think like Vatican II, you know, in the seventies or whenever that was something anyway. (laughs) So, I mean, like I can see how maybe it wouldn't have been that big of a deal in England, you know, it would just be a story about a nun, you know? Yeah. You know, nuns nuns doing their thing. I don't know. Are there Protestant nuns? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Talk to me about this devastatingly handsome Mr. Dean. Oh, God. So, I mean, I guess that's... He, that's the first thing I said when we stopped, when the movie was over. <laughs> My God, that man is attractive. <laughs> so his name was David Farrar. He played, and I've never seen him in anything before. I was like, who is this guy? He plays a British man who is an agent for the general, the the Indian. It's, or, it's a weird thing that he's doing. What is this job that he has? He's I just think he's like, like a, a he's like a man, uh, one of the managers of the estate in the kingdom, or something, yeah. or maybe a go between for yeah. commercial things. He he manages the pal. He's sort of their liaison to the palace and to the the kingdom. Okay. Right? Yeah. But he's he's this sort of rugged. He's always wears like really short shorts. Really short shorts. He's well, look tall. At this. You can see like a dark full and foot handsome. of his full foot of his thighs. I think it's fascinating that you found a gif of this guy. He's like touching Never. A, an urn or something. Yes. This is somebody did like eight different gifs of of um David Farr. I I like the one with the pipe. Those are my he's, favorites. He's got a pipe. He's tall, dark, and handsome. He's rugged. He's... Instead of having his hair combed back, it's kind of... He sometimes wears that hat. Yeah, yeah. He's always wearing shorts. You're like, mm. isn't he cold? Yeah. Because it's like you see snow He's in the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> he's wearing like four-inch shorts or something. So his attitude <laughs> when they first show up... Yeah. He's like, I'll give you till the rains come, I think, or yeah. till the till the rains he's break. That's very dismissive. Yeah, very condescending. Yeah, kind of rude. Actually, yeah. he doesn't really think much of them. He doesn't really think much of them. A because they're nuns, and B because they're women. Yeah, I think he doesn't respect. I don't them. think he likes. Yeah, he doesn't. 
like women all that much. I, I mean, obviously, he, he likes... just hangs out by himself in, in 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 India or in the Himalayas. He seems to not approve of their their what they're there for. Yeah, like to meddle in the affairs of yeah the village life here. You know, the people. As yeah. if he's not like. I don't know. We don't know what he does the rest of the time. Yeah. I, we know he sits around reading Kipling and smoking yeah, or something. Yeah, he just I don't know. Smokes, he, has his little, he has his little bungalow with... And it's suggested a number of times <laughs> that he's kind of seduces the ladies or something, yeah, yeah. right? The, the, the girls from the village, I guess. So there's not very many men in this movie. No. There's the the general the, yeah. who you see very early on when he welcomes them you yeah. know in his with his turban and the stately the entire mm. court coming to welcome them and that sort of thing and there's the holy man on the mountain yes who isn't like just a poor holy man he's the uncle of of the of, little general yeah he's part of the royal family basically who's renounced worldly life mm-hmm. he sits on a mountain all the time and then you have the little general, the yeah. other major, Sabu. the other attractive male figure, yes. the great Sabu. He wears sparkly things. That's what he wears. He wears sparkly things. He has, uh, he has the perfume of the title. Yeah. Let's well, talk he, about the he's, title. He's uh, black, black Narcissus. Yes. Which is a, a fragrance by some company. I, I looked it up, but I don't remember Well, what he it takes is. off his scarf or his kerchief mm. or something, right? And kind of like wafts it around and yeah. fans himself for a moment. And all the late, all the nuns and ladies in the room kind of like, yeah. well, I don't know if it's all of well, them. Well, is that one of the things that spurs Deborah Kerr's memories, I think? I think so. Yeah. And the then, smell reminds her of this They shoot a look like a, a disapproving look at him. Yeah. I don't like scents. And he's kind. like, oh, this? It is Black Narcissus. Yeah. <laughs> I am sorry. That's a, it's interesting. I, I've never smelled that smell. I don't know what it smells like, but I don't remember daffodils having a smell, yeah. so I don't... You know, yeah. Sabu played Mowgli in mm. the original Jungle Book um, okay. film by Alexander yeah. Korda, well, he's which the, was done around this time. He's the only... Uh, He's the only person of Indian or Pakistani descent, descent in this in the film. film. Everybody else is, you know, in brown face, essentially. You know, um, what it's is it? fairly Jean Simmons. Jean Simmons. She's a British woman. She plays Kanchi. Well, the, that's the interesting thing. Like, I didn't until I read about it. Didn't know that she wasn't Indian. No, she's. It's very. If there's a way to say it's tastefully there's, done, there's not a way to say that. There's not a way to say that. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> this was the convention in films, in television, for yeah. many, 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 many long years. Yeah. You cast whomever. Yeah. And then worked with them to make them look the part. Yeah. I don't know. It's 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 hard to think about those things. I mean, that, that said, I think the performance that she gave was That's what I want to say, is I think know. she's great in the role, but... You have the inherent flaw in the casting. Yeah. <laughs> with, just in the philosophy <laughs> That you can't get casting. around. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's just, it's unfortunate that that's the way things were done and it does. But I think as long as we acknowledge the wrong and the harm that that did, did and does, yeah. you know, and, you know, you know, then, then at least it's been acknowledged. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about her character <laughs> yeah. for a moment. Her name is Kanchi, and she's dropped off. I mm-hmm. forget by whom. Um, 
they brought her her family brought her there because she they they want to marry her off but she's behaving in such a scandalous way that it's hard to attract them doesn't mr dean drop her off he says she's waiting on my veranda every day just sitting out there like giving me these looks she's of marriageable age but she's i think possibly orphaned or kind of put out by her family Mm. in some way and is just out there yeah young yeah <laughs> suggestive seductive well yeah i mean that might be another no one of those euphemisms where she has been sleeping with people and now she's not marriageable and I so there's in time i think when we pick up on this may be suggested yeah. it's probably actually really really suggested in the t- if you were to see it in the time yeah so i think it's probably there yeah, i think yeah. that's f- a fair thing to yeah. say is she's either been doing this already or she's about to and that's why we're dropping her off in the convent with you put her to work have her mop the floors just get her off the streets get her off of my veranda yeah she's gonna get in trouble is basically so it may be before anything has actually happened but the implication is there (laughs) yeah (laughs) well i mean yeah and that's it, it just ties into the sort of overarching sort of focus on female sexuality which at the, I understand at the time. Did you know maybe, we'd be maybe, watching a movie about nuns and female I, sexuality? I don't, I, you know, it, it, you know, who knew? You know, I guess at the time it would have been quite alarming. You know, to me, it seems very, I mean, very subtle. There's no overt, you know. Yeah, well, it's part of an appreciation of movies being able to also put yourself into the position of audience goers at the time it was yeah. produced because i think there's always a there's always that conflict between receiving the movie and viewing it now as the person you are in 2020 yeah. and being able to see how did this feel to see this movie then what had there been that was anything like this before yeah well apparently at the time there were a good number of people who sort of dismissed it as like a brief encounter in set in the himalayas you know which doesn't sound bad to me because I love Brief Encounter. I, I like Brief Encounter. <laughs> but, you know, that's a. it's hilarious when you think about Brief Encounter. I don't know if, how many of you have seen Brief Encounter. It has the feeling, like it has all the emotional weight of a torrid affair, but they basically only look at each other over teacups and they, think about never riding kiss. on a train together. I, I mean, maybe they hold hands once absolutely, or something. There's no affair whatsoever yeah. except in mind as an yeah. emotional affair. Yeah. Which not to discount, but yeah. absolutely it's not a torrid affair. <laughs> and yet it has that emotional weight. Yeah. This devastating emotional weight. It's so British. It's so of the times and it's such a wonderful film. It's yeah. David Lean. And, well, uh, I feel like, you know, it's interesting, like, when you talk about, like, I felt like there was a pull between Mr. Dean and Sister Clotta. You don't feel the pull between Sister Ruth. Sister, I mean, like, well, you barely see Sister Ruth until she goes nuts, so, you know. we got to talk about her some more. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we've we mentioned how the the place yeah. has, has, exudes its power on everyone. Yeah. Sister Clodagh remembers her past and her love affair. Sister Philippa, who's supposed to be planting the farming, the yeah, gar- like, like the potatoes food, and the tomatoes. potatoes and the tomatoes and the 
ends up planting all kinds of like flowers. azaleas, azaleas and, and daffodils. <laughs> daffodils and, yeah. <laughs> she just plants beautiful flowers. And when confronted yeah. about it, she's like, but I yeah. just needed to see the yeah. loveliness of, you know, <laughs> and, um, everybody kind of loses their way. Well, sister Ruth, the way she gets, loses her way is she could totally goes nutso, loses her shit for Mr. Dean. Yeah. Totally gets the hots for but Mr. Dean. But I don't Dean. think they only interact like twice throughout the whole film. No, but it's one of those things where he shows her a little bit of attention and yeah. it blows up within her. Yeah. And I think it, it starts early on when he... Isn't that her? When, when he says she... It was something about one of the medical things that happened. Yeah. He says you did the right... He basically is like, yeah, you did the right thing or whatever. Was, was, or was she, was, was that not her? The one who came in covered in blood and everything and yeah, said, yeah. I just did this thing and I helped. And then she kind of got chewed out by Sister Clodagh by saying, you should have grabbed Sister Bryony yeah. or whatever right away because she's an expert and here you are. This woman could have died losing blood or whatever her injury was. Yeah. And, and But he's basically like, you did the right thing. Thank you for taking care of her. And, yeah. and from that point on, that is her, right? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Sister Ruth. Yeah. Well, you got guys, give us a break here. They're all wearing white habits, <laughs> right? They all look the same. Yeah, I think that that's the it's and it's it is really I mean, like, I'm not familiar with any of the actresses really at all. So it was it's it's kind of hard to tell them apart. Yeah, it's interesting to me. I mean, in a soapy kind of way, but um, Deborah Kerr was an ex of one Michael of the, Powell, Michael Powell and. Uh, Sister Ruth was his current flame at the time. So do you know what you do <laughs> if you have your ex and your current lover in the film together? Yeah. You have them trying to struggling at a yeah. cliff yeah. at a cliffside trying to, to throw to each, each other, other off, off to oblivion. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, cuz that's what we get here. Not to spoil any more than that. We won't tell you how that comes out. Yeah. <laughs> but so this is not an ordinary refined yeah. quiet movie in many ways it is but it also goes very weird and in fact this movie i'm sure is in my cult movies book yeah. i bet i i think that i came across it years mm. ago before i ever saw but about i it. feel like sister claude and mr dean had an understanding or they were drawn together in a way you know like eventually he even though it didn't work out like he respected her in a way or something something he recognized something in her you know that I think that I think that's fair to say. I think yeah. that he comes, I don't think it was necessarily love or anything, no, but I think it was there's just... some kind of respect of the commitment and mm. the and sh- how she made it go, you know, what she yeah. what she almost accomplished, yeah. or the, the 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 leadership ability, the I, mean, I don't know how much leadership ability it is, but the you know you didn't give up easily. You Duh. you you showed your metal kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think it might be there. Yeah, but that was enough. That sort of like that was enough for Sister Ruth to to like grab onto yeah. in her mind and be like, you know, she's trying to seduce him. She, you well, know, Sister so Clotta wants him. You know, I that think kind you're of thinking thing. of the moment where actually Sister Clotta is sort of she's at the end of her rope she's been very challenged by all of this stuff that's going on and she is having her doubts right yeah. she's been trying to keep it together for everybody else but so there is a moment where she yeah. lets down her guard with mr dean and 
confesses something of how shaken up she is yeah. and how hard this is. And it's almost like that willingness to to be mm. vulnerable is sort of the thing that breaks through to him. And I don't think it's necessarily a romantic attraction. Yeah. But I think that is a turning point in their relationship where she drops the guise of her role and her authority and is a human and yeah. is a person and is a woman with a, you know. Well, and, and you know, and, you have to wonder if... Sister the re- Ruth is watching from the window. That's right. And she flips out and is like, oh my God, she's throwing herself at Mr. Dean. We're going to squirt some cats for yeah. a moment, so that's okay. <laughs> well... I- I I don't know if I mean there must be some reason that he is out in the middle of nowhere so far from everything that you know he would have grown up around you know I mean even if he was raised in India he would have been raised you know in town you know amongst other you know, colonial British families and stuff like I that. I think he you came know? over in the military. He got fired for some reason, maybe yeah. for womanizing or stealing something <laughs> or doing something. And he ended up getting left behind and yeah. disgraced or something and yeah. ended up finding employee. Interesting. And I don't know. I just totally made this up. Well, we get no backstory for yeah, him at all. But, but why I, is he there's there? something that, something about that giving up on the world kind of thing that he, he, admired or giving up on the world that, that I think they he knew, seems quite content you know? yeah, with yeah. his strange life. Yeah. But we don't get all that much of him as a person. Yeah. You see his his home briefly cuz sister Ruth like she, talk, fall, she What <laughs> did she do? Well, first she orders a dress from from There's did that you, great scene where Did you know what the, she ordered? Did did you how talk to me about that scene where she comes out? So like she sees the delivery boy like running through the courtyard with a package yeah. and she like runs down and basically like wrestles him to the ground and he's like no no I have to give all the packages to and she's like no this one's for me and she like takes it from him, you know. Um Did you know what it was at that point? I didn't know what it was. Not until she put it on did I realize that it was a So dress. there's that moment where she comes out of the shadows. Yeah. Completely in this. Well, I think they say in in a letter she get uh, that Sister Clotta gets from Mother Superior that Sister Ruth didn't. She didn't renew renew her her vows, and shortly after is when we, you know, she goes to Sister Ruth's room and she's got the door locked, but she finally is able to get in, and Sister Ruth is dressed in a bright red you know, dress, which apparently would have been quite startling for those using used to watching black and white that sort of deep bright color that's they're able to you know get with the technicolor or yeah and then she puts on the bright pink lipstick too at the at the same time while they're having this discussion about her leaving the order entirely she really does completely kind of lose her mind yeah (laughs) she has a full-on breakdown when she's rejected rejected by mr dean Mm -hmm. i mean and it's you know old movie style crazy You know, wide eyes and everything. And they actually, like, seem to have put on, like, red eyeliner yeah, she or something. Had, she, has, she had like, more and more really red eyeliner red, crazy, throughout the movie. Crazy yeah. eyes. Yeah. She's really good. I mean, <laughs> Kathleen Byron <laughs> yeah. is her name. That's, that was the current mm-hmm. the lover current of, lover, of yeah. Michael Powell. Yeah. Right? He said she had uh, eyes like a lynx that made her good for playing crazy people. Apparently. <laughs> Interestingly, Michael Powell went on to marry uh, Martin Scorsese's editor, Thelma Schoonmacher. Mm. I don't know how to pronounce her name. I'm sorry. She's one of the best in the business. But um, so anyway. Yeah. 
There you go. <laughs> and then apparently I was reading about this, the, the scene um, when there's the fight between, yeah. the, uh, between Sister Ruth and Sister Clotta on the edge of the mountain. Um, that was, they had a pre-scored piece of music and they choreographed the fight. That's and fascinating. The, I, I need- and the bell ringing to go with that piece of music. So it's, it's almost like a, a dance had um, the red shoes already come out before I this? Don't remember. Because that seems like something he might have learned to do or yeah. think about the way that the music interacts with ballet and movement on camera from working with the red shoes. No, red shoes is the next year, nineteen forty-eight. Interesting. Yeah, they're so great. Both of these films. No, we didn't really give a sense of what this movie looks like yeah. or the atmosphere of it, really, and. This, for me, is, like, one of the best examples of what the stylized look of Technicolor did for the movies during that time. Um, And actually, so is The Red Shoes is another one where color is just... So Technicolor was a strange three-color process, Mm. so it it never looks realistic. No, it doesn't. Not at all. But it's so vibrant and so stunning... Yeah, I, it's a, I love a good Technicolor movie. I've thought, you know, there've been a couple of times during these like what a Criterion 50% sales where I just wanted to pick up like where I'm just like, what Technicolor movie do they have so that I can see one of these? And, and this is one of the ones I haven't quite purchased well, yet. Well, it's interesting. That, it, it it's, stands out. It's not very good at like subtle contrast at all. So no. like skin tones don't look their best. That's what makes it harder to tell faces apart because. But, but I don't know if you just grow get a taste for yeah. that of, for what Technicolor looks yeah. like because I love that everything looks like a painting in a certain yeah. way. Yeah, well, it, it it certainly highlights those blues and greens like David Farrer's eyes. Are nutso in this film. I mean, like they're like this dark. This weird... guy wasn't looking at his yeah. eyes. I didn't even well, notice his eyes. Well, he has dark blue eyes, but they're mm-hmm. really obvious in the Technicolor. Um, and then you know the blues and the greens from the mountains are really bold. And then it picks up those bright reds and pinks and purples in a, in a very striking way, you know. But then it's the I don't know they're. Their habits are supposed to be white, but to mm-hmm. me they read gray, so they're not as striking as they might have been, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I, I think that probably had to do with not being able to get the contrast that you. I mean, you know, I love contrast, so I mean, but the contrast is coming from these bright pops of color and these like uh-huh. less defined, sort of paler colors, I guess. Um, yeah. So there's something about. The look of this movie that's partly to do with the Technicolor process itself. Yeah. And partly to do with the magnificent lighting effects that they've mm-hmm. done. And I I didn't get a chance to look up who the director of photography was or, or the cinematographer. But when I think when I'm thinking about this movie right now, I'm picturing so many moments with light and shadow and with sort of orange light and with sort of blue moonlight. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of movement through shadows there's a lot of outright darkness i think that moment where sister ruth comes out of the darkness revealing that she's in that red dress is spectacular yeah so it's not afraid to have shadow (laughs) and darkness but there's i want to say it's ethereal or something some of the way the 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 light and the color 
works together as these people move through the rooms of this palace or on the edge of the cliff. And then the film is also quite quite groundbreaking for its use of like matte paintings. Yeah. This movie was shot entirely in the studio, like 99% of it in Pinewood Studios yeah. in the studio. <laughs> and yet they had these huge glass painted matte paintings of of the the of the th- precipice. that staggering precipice that drop and the mountains behind them yeah. and all that. And even though as a movie goer now you know that it's artifice and you can you can see some the boundaries. The, some it's of the paintings are pretty spectacular. Yeah. I think I saw this movie originally on not quite as good a print and on a smaller TV. And I went away just remembering that cliff, that that the bell tower yeah. that comes up a number of times every time they ring the bell and where that climactic that struggle, you know, where yeah. will one of them drop off the cliff where you just see that that just <laughs> million mile down drop. It's that's what I remember when yeah. I picture this movie. And they often use it, I think, well, on the cover. It, it h- helps them feel like so separate from the thing. So I did look up the cinematographer. His name is Jack Cardiff. Oh, Jack and Cardiff is. He did the Master of Life, uh, Matter of Life and Death. Black didn't Narcissus. he shoot the Elephant Man or or Razorhead or something by David Lynch at some I point? Don't know. Or am the I crazy? Red Shoes, the African Queen, Under yeah. Capricorn. He's, he was one of the greats, and he won a nominated for Academy Award for Sons and Lovers. Um, let's see what else did he do? Sons and Lovers. I have to see that. Dean Stockwell was in that when he was really young. Let's see. The magic box. How how far did he shot to he did, Rambo? The prince and the showgirl <laughs> in the showgirl. Yeah. Okay, well now I, I see that we were in the hands of a, a master cinematographer yeah. as well as director and writer. Yeah. So yeah, um, interesting. <laughs> But, I mean, I think they always were going to fail, you know. They were never going to be able to stick it out. I think it was, from, well, I think from the beginning, it was clear that that was The premise of the movie is, this is going to fail, let's see how. Yeah. In yeah. a way. <laughs> and, and it was psychology, it wasn't. Well, and, and ultimately, something that was mentioned early in the film, too, is, like, if somebody is really sick, like, on the point of death, don't treat them. Because if they die, the then, people are going to turn against you. And that's exactly and what that's happened. that's exactly what they did despite yeah. the warning. Yeah. It's like they set it up <laughs> and then they did that. They did that, yeah. And that comes very near the end where they're, they've just completely like blown it, yeah. really. Well, it, it made you wonder like what was going to bring them down. Was it going to be the villagers coming to kill them in the night? Which like they kind of like presented that as a possibility. But yeah. really what brings them down is... I mean, for the most part, is this psychological yeah. stress, this the the resurgence of their humanity, of their who they were, other than being in the habit in this role. Yeah, like they've suppressed all of that, and everything suppressed, like in Freud or whatever, yeah. <laughs> like comes comes to the surface. Was the height of psychological this knowledge the, in nineteen forty seven? Well, it's so. I don't know. It's so well done. So this has that like sense of place, but it has that sense of place as where the where the setting is a character kind of feeling. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. Like you can't think about this story being transplanted transplanted well, to somewhere about else. The, something about the air or something about the Oh, because it literally is at an extremely the, the high wind altitude. Blows. So they no, but they also have altitude sickness. Yeah, yeah. Like early on one of them is feeling ill and and faint because they're so high. Yeah. And so there's sort of cues in the actual physical environment that they might be affected in a certain way, but most of it just seems to be the the resonance of this decrepit well it's not that decrepit but this crumbling forgotten palace that was once a harem acting on these nuns yeah and their their goal to civilize the natives or whatever it is they're there to bring civilization to people so the one thing that i did not like about this film is the caretaker the caretaker Oh, yeah. She was so irritating and screaming all the time for some reason. Yeah. And I don't know why. I, yeah. I mean, luckily, it didn't come off as any particular kind of parody of an ethnic group or anything. It was just bad. Yeah. You know, what I mean, maybe you it, seem to have gotten this is this character, Aya, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Who is uh, who was a woman who was the, the caretaker even when the place was abandoned. Yeah. So you have this kind of sense that she's not quite right. Yeah. She's, and they've cast this with, I didn't see who it is, but, and I don't care to look it up, but (laughs) she's this crone, this sort of like weird screeching, unpleasant crone. I mean, that's great that she's supposed to be unpleasant, but she really, really is unpleasant. Like, you don't want her on screen kind of unpleasant. No. And she seems to be, like, they just cast some weird cockney old woman or something. Yeah. So then... You know, they didn't cast it ethnically correctly. It's this weird... The weird casting problem again. And then you have such an unpleasant performance. Yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. It's like nails on a chalkboard kind of discord. I mean, they could have easily done, like, someone who was, like... Like, more quiet in her disapproval of everything they're doing. And I think that would have been more effective. No, but she runs around squawking like a chicken or something. And sort of mocking them. Like, she actually imitates their voice. And she screeches. And she's the one who whips Conchi, the the girl. Yeah. Who was caught stealing something. Yeah. She stole the... The one of the swing yeah, things for the incense, necklace. yeah, for yeah. for mass the incense. But going back to here for a moment <laughs> and jumping off track is, despite the problematic casting, that there's that amazing scene where Gene Simmons as Kanji is like scrubbing the floors or something yeah. in that that main mm-hmm. a- area with the sort of the the murals on the wall and the it's one of the palace yeah. receiving areas and. And and she gets up and starts dancing and yeah. looking at herself in the mirror. Mm-hmm. It's such that's a great so cool. moment. Is yeah. that when the and the, the, when the younger general he, comes? He walks with, in on her. Yeah, but she has this quiet moment alone where she mm-hmm. goes from cleaning and trying to and and being forced to be in this role to and again it's that kind of feeling like the erotic power of this mm-hmm. palace. Yeah, and she gets up and she starts admiring herself and she starts to move and dance and. And do, you know, one of those traditional dances. And and she's looking at herself in the mirror completely alone. And yeah. then the young general, Sabu, comes in and sees her. And, of course, he ends up falling 
for yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, he falls for her, and they, they end up going off and getting married, you know, and, and leaves the nuns kind of, you know, high and dry during the whole crisis of the... Well, that's weird, too. You have the young general wants to enroll in the school, yeah. which is for children and yeah. for girls. Yeah. But he wants to he, he wants to learn uh, languages and the classics and read his Russian literature and that's learn right. French. That's right. He wanted to and, l- English and Russian. Yeah. Interesting choices, but okay. He, he, want, he wanted to do his um, the Great Questions class, I think. That's right, yeah. Before going to for his schooling at university in, in Britain, probably. Mm, yeah. So, <laughs> I, I don't necessarily think that these nuns would be the ones to prepare him for that type of experience either. You know, they've sort of withdrawn from all that as well, you know, so. <laughs> I don't, I didn't get the sense they were great teachers. No. I didn't get the sense they were great hospital workers either. They were good at gardening <laughs> and bell they were ringing. Good at, yeah. <laughs> they were good at bell ringing and gardening. Ouch. <laughs> That's your take on this? <laughs> no, that's not my whole take. <laughs> anyway, it was it was a very interesting film. Um, Had you ever? Did you know anything about it? It's a very strange film, did, you know. <laughs> that, I don't. I can't think of anything else like it. No. Did you know anything about it going in? I I didn't even. So did you know it was about nuns? Or I anything? knew it was about nuns, but I thought it was set in one of the European places that has convents on tops of <clears throat> did you know it was a british film or uh, i knew powell and Pressburg yeah, were okay. british yeah so. right on but i mean like i i don't even i couldn't even tell you what else deborah kerr was in i mean i'm familiar with the from name from here to eternity oh, is the one I've that comes to my mind that, so oh you should see that yeah it's a good movie. <laughs> I've never seen it. So I'm a fan of Montgomery Clift, and he's he's another great. That's another great Montgomery Clift movie. But you know, I'm interested to see. Although looking at pictures of uh, David Farr, I think this was his most attractive performance. They're David, all the rest of them. He's got his hair like combed back in that like proper British oh, 1940s way, which yeah. is not as attractive. So he's gone all Cary Grant or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. It looks good on Cary Grant. Doesn't always look good on other people. Yeah. you know. So. Well, you but, know what? There's only one <laughs> Cary Grant. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to catch up with this movie, it's uh, it's available on the Criterion channel right mm. now. I think it's one of the ones <clears throat> from the Criterion collection that basically is always in the back catalog on, on the service, which we've just been we really getting so a lot much. out of during the pandemic. Yeah, we've been So much Criterion channel. Um a bunch of great films. We watched, um, I, we might have talked about, we saw Weekend, and then we watched another by the same director, 45 Years. 45 Years. Movie, which I also enjoyed. Yeah. We watched Yee Yee. Um, yeah. Great 90s family film. Yeah. That would have been podcast worthy. Yeah. Sort of, uh, yeah, it would have been. Alas, oh yeah. well. Another one of those where Another like the uh, slow, like weird dark turn that thing that things sometimes take. <laughs> I like that kind of a movie. Yeah, I do too. You know. So I still want you to see the life and death of Colonel Blimp sometime. Mm-hmm. And there's another one with David Niven. the The name of the movie has completely gone out of my head, but it's another good uh, okay. Michael Powell. Actually, and then the other one, Michael Powell movies. I don't 
know that I would say you have to see this movie. Okay. You can see this <laughs> you movie. You can see this movie. I would like to see this movie again sometime because I've only seen it once, but it's Peeping Tom. Oh. Which is a creepy psycho. I've wanted to see that for a while. Of. I remember reading, that was like one of the criterion, like I used yeah. to, because this is something I do, I read the back of Criterion at the, we used to have this great um, video store, uh, rest in peace, uh, Vulcan Video. They had all the Criterions on the director's wall and I would just go It's and a disturbing read, psycho yeah. type of movie. Yeah, yeah. About a psycho type of character who murders he basically murders people while filming them. So it's like he's making the snuff film of the murder. He's actually, it's kind of unpleasant, but kind of fascinating. It's, it's a genuine <laughs> cult movie. Um, and it's by Michael Powell years after he made these things in the forties. Interesting. Maybe so 10 he years has later. That sort of obsession with a sort of dark intense and yeah, suicide and murder and insanity and that sort of thing. It's pretty intense. Yeah. Um, one of his biggest fans was Martin Scorsese. Mm. Scorsese. I don't know why I said that all of a sudden. I always it's call him Scorsese. It's weird because like, I cannot think... I've seen, I haven't seen. i seen all of Martin Scorsese's films, but I've seen a good number of them. And I feel like I don't really see that. Maybe there's some films that have more of that than others. I don't know. I think what's actually... What's interesting is that... It's, it's like number of the super mic- influential, but you can't really tell. It's there i guess or something well see some of what scorsese gets from movies is about the actual camera move or the feeling or the way something is shot Mm. or the way something feels that he adapts to whatever storyline he's working out Mm. so for instance i saw a reference in my reading today that uh um some of the way he shot The Color of Money, which is not a favorite Scorsese movie of mine. Yeah. The one with, it's the the sequel to The Hustler with mm. Tom Cruise and and Paul Newman. The pool movie, mm. pool plane movie, pool sharks. Yes. Um, some of the extreme close-ups in that film, he has said, come out of um, Black Narcissus and the way that the nuns were shot and some of those details, I guess. But I, I'm not. I haven't seen that movie in 25 years easily. Yeah. It's not my favorite Scorsese movie. Well, it's interesting because the things that I respond to, I mean, like I, I understand and respect the craft of camera movement and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. That is not the stuff that when you're talking about how a film looks or how a film feels from a directorial standpoint, I'm going to respond more to the color. I'm going to respond more to the actors. I mean, like. Camera, camera can be can highlight all of those things, or it can be distracting. You mm-hmm. know, you don't. It shouldn't be distracting. You know, in it's my like opinion. I love, like I'll use like P.T. Anderson. He loves those big long shots. Yeah, I think they're fascinating. It's great to learn about those things. But I'm when I'm watching a P.T. Anderson movie, I don't always notice that it's a four minute long shot or an eleven minute long shot or whatever I like feel that. Like I'm it's not a gonna notice if that's that. That's what you're noticing. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, like I love to watch the YouTube videos. That's like this ex- or um, in Parasite. You know, all the ways that he set up things. That stuff is fascinating. But I can't say that if I watched it eleven times that I would be able to pick those things out if yeah. there weren't other people picking that out for me because that's just not how I respond to. The film, the technical camera work in that way just doesn't, you know, it can either add to the things that I respond to or take away from it. But I, I will never be the kind that's like, oh, yeah, that close up is just like, you know. 
That's interesting. I mean, that's I mean that makes perfect sense. Yeah. But when you are a young filmmaker like he was, and yeah. he's one of those like Tarantino was another one who came yeah. along later who saw every movie ever. Yeah. And it became part of their blood and their you know what I mean? Like he's when Scorsese's making a film, he's like, I really wanna heighten this person's subjective experience and that yeah. damaged like psychological pain or something yeah. like that. And there's a camera move I can do that I saw in this or there, there's yeah. this kind of feeling where you move, you push in really slowly and closely and, you, and then you push in really slowly and closely is what, what he's looking at. And I'm picturing the moment in Taxi Driver where there's like where he plops his Alka-Seltzer yeah. into a, a, a glass <laughs> or something like that. And the, the other taxi drivers are around just kind of like talking and gossiping yeah. beside him. And the camera just is listening you're hearing that conversation but travis is just uh spacing out and the camera's kind of pushes in slowly yeah. on him as he's staring down at the cup and then you have this weird <laughs> close-up of going into the cup with the bubbles popping and it mm. starts to look like the universe or something like that yeah. and it's just this moment of this complete disaffected not there yeah completely somewhere else sort of feeling that he got from other movies and he got from but that he he made something that says something about well, this character. Well, that's interesting that, I mean, he has that talent for, it's it's almost invisible mm-hmm. for that. Whereas, like, if you talk about someone like Quentin Tarantino, it's very obvious where he got. I mean, but he makes, he, I mean, his whole thing is obvious. Like, it's obviously mimicking the styles of, you know, 1970s, black exploitation films or 1970s um, uh, martial arts films or whatever. He's yeah. obviously, and then like, but like the way he uses the cuts in the camera, it's obviously an homage or a, a direct, you know, thing. Well, here's the you thing. Know. This is really stupid, but Quentin Tarantino loves movies and he's mm. making a movie. Yeah. And someone like Scorsese is taking all of the the formal elements of how do you how do you move a camera, how do you light the set, mm. how do you all of that kind of stuff. How do you photograph something? How do you cut it? How do you edit yeah. it? What is the rhythm like? And he's he's picked this up from a lifetime of looking at movies, yeah. but then he's using it to tell his story not to make a movie not to make here's my kung fu movie yeah here's my war movie yeah yeah i don't feel like i mean no that's right and yeah i think you're right there is a difference in in subtlety there you know but i i I don't know what it is about martin scorsese i've never really responded to 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 him in any you know yeah in any real way. Like, if I talk about directors from... I mean, like, on the other side of that, like, Spielberg, who, like, I, his films are more understandable. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, to me. But they're also, like, saccharine in a way. They're, 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 they're like... There's something Scorsese. inherently sentimental about them yeah. that feels a yeah. little false so, so note. Where, where Scorsese is not subtle in one way, Spielberg is not subtle in a different way. That's true. And but I just I don't really like they've made films that I have enjoyed, but I've never been like moved on a on a deep level by any film that either Scorsese or Spielberg has made. 
you know, and oh, but what about the joys of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? That's such a good movie, but you know, I I love that movie. I would watch it again. I would watch it now. I love that film. Yeah. I I have good memories of watching it all the time, but I, I I don't think it's ever moved me on the scale. I mean, even of movies that we've seen recently, yeah. like like Weekend or Forty Five Years or you know any of any of that stuff that you know, or this movie Black Narcissus, which is fascinating and interesting and. Well, you, you know, know, Scorsese makes movies about violent, disaffected male yeah. characters. I mean, there's something there in like his usual subject matter yeah. that's just not for everyone. Yeah. So that totally makes sense. Yeah, and it's interesting cuz that that sort of like 70s very masculine American film gave birth to all the wonderful indie films that we have now. I mean, they took they they took movies and recognized how I mean that was part of recognizing how great of an art form it is and then transforming it into this thing that we we have now that we might not have had if it weren't for those sort of seventies Spielbergs and Scorseses that that you know I don't know I don't know if you if you but I mean from my understanding of film is when in the 70s, in the 60s and 70s, when we had our critics and and this new generation of male yeah. <laughs> male film directors, Coppola, and they sort of were able to take all these wonderful things from and recognizing the greatness of people like John Huston and, you know, other directors that weren't as, you know, well-known as Alfred Hitchcock. It's interesting. They were saturated with classic Hollywood but they were also disciples of the French New Wave and yeah. new and all of the New Wave cinemas. Well, and that's that would have been post-war as well because we wouldn't have had access to those. And they were also you know. the first film school generation. Yeah, yeah. So they were the first people who are like going into it. At, this is something I'm <laughs> studying at an academic level, yeah. and I'm, and then it's that first wave of American independent films, really. Well, and I, I feel like some of the films that I love the most are in reaction to this very studied yeah. way of things that sort of the 70s and 80s, the very studied, very careful, you know, technical films. And then we get these beautiful naturalistic films and these films that are able to combine elements of all of that into something that's, you know, incredible and interesting and, you know. And then I just respond to Jim Jarmusch like turning on a camera, <laughs> yeah. a sixteen millimeter well, camera, isn't that and a having, very much a reaction to yeah, you know, like someone who spends you know th- three days filming a fight sequence or yeah. you know yeah, 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 whatever you yeah. know. Yes. Uh huh. I storyboarded my fight <laughs> sequence. It has sixty setups. It's going to take us a week to shoot. Yeah. Or I've got uh, my two actors on the yeah. sofa. I've got my camera on a tripod. We're going to shoot a five-minute take, yeah. maybe do another one, yeah. and then we're moving on. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I love I love all of it. It's Well, <laughs> so. it's it's fun to talk about. I And I like to talk about what what leaves me cold as much as I like to talk about things that, yeah. that, that make me warm. Like the fact that our air conditioner is not on now. Cool. <laughs> well, I think with that, we're going to, we've, we've long departed the Himalayas. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we've come back to America. I think we've, we took a tour through little Italy yeah, along the way. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, 
And we should probably say goodbye for this week. Yeah. But I'm glad that we had such a good, interesting conversation about Black Narcissus and that I could show you something you've never seen before. Yeah, it's a good film. All right, we'll be back in two weeks. Did we act? We produced this on schedule this yes. time. Yeah. It was always our intention to do these every do these every two weeks. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. Maybe I'll get the. You're blueprint. either listening or you're not. And uh, <laughs> so <laughs> we'll talk to you again next time, and it'll be Ashley's choice. Yes, it will. Ashley's Sophie's choice. choice. No, not Sophie's choice. Ashley's choice. She chose the boy. Hey, spoilers. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Bye. Bye.